Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester, live from the newly renamed City AM Towers. Um, in a minute, I'll be talking to two of our reporters, Jack Barnett and Leah Montebello, about both the economy and a little about ITV's plans for the future. But first, the more general corporate news today, and Aviva chief Amanda Blanc has spoken out against sexism in the city after she was subjected to a barrage of sexist and derogatory comments at Aviva's annual general meeting. The insurance industry veteran said she had observed an increase in incidents of overt sexism during her 30 plus years in the financial services sector as she hit back at those who made inappropriate comments at Aviva's first in-person AGM since the start of COVID-19. Blanc's statement came after Aviva Chair George Colmer said he'd been left flabbergasted by a torrent of inappropriate comments targeted towards Blanc and other female board members at Aviva's general meeting. The AGM saw one shareholder ask whether Blanc should be wearing trousers as another suggested she's not the man for the job. Blanc said in a LinkedIn post today that while this type of stuff used to be said in private, perhaps in the safety of four inside an office. The fact that people are now making these comments in a public AGM is a new development. Company boss said she had picked up her fair share of misogynistic scars during her time in the boardrooms of major insurers. Uh, But she said that while she hopes that initiatives seeking gender equality may help, true equality still seems a long way off. Uh, Amanda Bunk saying the city has no choice but to redouble its efforts to fight sexism. And she thanked all of those who have been in touch since the AGM to show their support. A Lloyd's licensed insurance broker has launched a dedicated crypto product to shore up legal protections for digital asset firms in the latest sign of the industry's involvement in the wider financial services and professional services community. Superscript today announced the launch of Daylight, a product which ensures crypto businesses against ransomware attacks, unintentional copyright infringement and business interruption. It doesn't, however, protect from losses, which may be something that others are looking for right now. The London broker has launched a new offering after identifying a gap in the insurance market, which apparently offers scarce coverage to crypto owners. The Kremlin has warned it has enough buyers for its energy resources outside of Western countries as the European Union weighs up phasing out Russian oil imports. Speaking at a conference in Muscat today, the country's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said let the West pay more than it used to to the Russian Federation and let it explain to its population why they should become poorer. Trading bloc currently relies on Russia for around a quarter of its oil imports, but is looking to include an oil embargo in its sixth package of sanctions on the Kremlin following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And TUI, the German tour operator, the world's largest travel operator, expects to become profitable once again in 2022 due to the expected boom in summer travel demand. Uh, The high demand for travel and the good business performance, uh, said Fritz Jossen, the CEO, uh, confirms a good financial year on the way. Um, Speaking of good financial years, Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent, um, are we headed for a recession? Uh, well, yes, by <laughs> one forecaster's um, reckoning today from the uh, National Institute of Economic and Social Research. So they've well remembered. Got, <laughs> I was um, I was clutching at straws there uh, briefly. <laughs> um, they have got a recession at the end of this year, so Q3, Q4 contraction, um, basically meeting the grade of the technical recession, mm-hmm. um, reinforcing the, the pretty glum forecasts that we had from the Bank of England last week, which also warned that we were heading for a recession as well. And the narrative is is pretty much the same that we've had from every single forecaster recently. Um, so living standards are dropping quite sharply this year. They've got real incomes falling at 2.4%. Um, inflation at peaking at over 8%. Um, spending pullback mm. very much on the way, which is going to going to weigh on growth. And of course, one of the things that economists have been talking about for a while is around the savings that Brits have 
um, in theory, at least, squirreled away during uh, two years of lockdowns. Um, well, it's been quite a while since I last lockdown, by the way. Mm. Um, uh, one of the things that economists have said, one of the things that Bank of England certainly has relied upon, and certainly one thing that Rishi Sunak is hoping Brits do, is start releasing some of those savings into the wider economy, essentially dipping into those lockdown savings to go and have a special meal or pints or whatever it might be and to be more relaxed about um, inflation than they otherwise would be. But instinctively, in tough economic times, people will probably, you would have thought, sit on their rainy day funds rather than start splashing them out on you know, non-essentials. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think there's some data to back up that point as well. So um, the latest consumer confidence survey from GFK, which has been measuring this since the, since the 70s, has got it the second lowest level on record. So that is an indication of how um, pessimistic people are about the economy. Um, that will naturally lead them to be more cautious. They might leave the savings which they built up over the course of the pandemic untouched. They might add to savings which will result in even weaker consumption. Now, the the flip side of that is, so the, the, the sort of main argument that all these forecasters have said and have, have sort of knows the fact on whether or not if the, if the UK is to avoid a recession, um, it will depend on how quickly people draw down these savings. The, the argument so goes is that inflation is very, very high. That squeezes people's um, income from work and other traditional sources of income, um, which then means they might have to dip into their savings to cover their energy bills or their food bills. That should keep consumption at levels where growth is still reasonably positive, where, but at some point it might tip into a recession if um, that savings drawdown isn't isn't quick enough. But I, I think the, the point to mention there is that the actual distribution of those savings is very much heavily weighted towards richer households mm. um, who didn't experience such severe income shocks during the pandemic, whereas poorer households don't have the resources to fall back on. Now, richer households tend to spend less money um, than poorer households. So if you're relying on that group to release all those savings and they don't have a high propensity mm. to, to spend money, then the actual drawdown of that bank of savings might be a quite a bit slower than people were expecting. And that spending is a proportion of their income, right? Because presumably obviously spending a little bit more than the poor, but it's mm. it's about just the, the level of balance there. Um, on the global stage, continuing to be complicated, the global recovery, continuing to be complicated by China's zero COVID approach, clearly. We're seeing mass testing now almost as a matter of course in most Chinese cities. We're seeing that gumming up of the supply chains, mm. um, further price pressures. You talked about these forecasts. They've all got in common inflationary pressures. Is there an element that it, in the UK at least, some people are saying, well, you know, supply chain's willies. This will relax. That will take away the inflationary pressure on goods at least. But are we already at a point, do you think, where inflation is, is now set into the labour market, which is the sort of thing that keeps it around far, far longer, right? Yeah, right. So that is the, that's the sort of second round effects that the Bank of England has been really at pains to warn on, and that is the biggest that is the biggest risk to inflation in this country, saying higher uh, for a longer period of time. Basically, what that means is that we've got a very very bad inflation spike at the moment. Workers then see their incomes not going as far. They then ask their employers to raise their pay, which then in turn strengthens the incentive for the employer to raise mm. their prices, and it's a self self fulfilling cycle. When you get into those realms, I mean, a lot of forecasters have been at pain to say we're not, you know, we're not in the same position that we saw. Well, we saw that situation play out in the 1970s when we had a lot of union power, which actually upheld mm. um, the inflexibility in the labour market. We're not in the same position that we're in now. 
Um, so the, the, the threat of having those second round effects that you pointed to there is probably less severe than it would have been in the 1970s. That's interesting. Chink of light for once at the end of that endless tunnel. Should note the US inflation um, today. Uh, well, what was the, what was the view on US inflation? Not as, not as bad, starting to ease. No, so I think people were saying that it's probably peaked on the headline rate. But just to go back to some more Colum news, as what would it be without going back to Colum news? Um, the core print, which is more of uh, accurate measure of inflation pressures in the US, actually surprised the upside. That was point six percent on a monthly basis. Most people are now saying that that's going to strengthen the likelihood of the Fed going ahead with more fifty basis point rate hikes. Okay. One to watch stateside, certainly. Jack, thanks very much. Um, Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent. Um, now joining me is Leah Montebello, our TMT correspondent, tech, media and telecoms. Um, plenty going on in media land at the moment, and we'll talk about Channel 4 in just a second. Um, but let's start with ITV, trading update today. It's a bit of a weird one for me because from the outside, ITV are announcing with great fanfare another streaming service because that's what we need, another one. But they're also already in bed with BritBox. I'm sort of trying to work out what the plan is. Take us through it. So like you said, they reported their trading update today. So it was looking good. So revenue is up a fifth. Um, they've added a bunch of new shows onto onto their platform. Um, so <laughs> in March, they launched ITVX, or they said they were going to launch ITVX, which oh, is- Extraordinary a, name. <laughs> which is ad-funded um, and free, which is obviously very different from the kind of Netflix model that yep. we're all used to. Um, when it was first announced in March, uh, investors panicked, shares slumped. I think it was 25% in one day. So really went wild. Today, they've confirmed that it's actually coming to launch at the end of the year. Okay. And investors seem quite happy about it. Well, which maybe, is they've done, maybe they've done a better job of explaining it, or maybe the people I don't just... think they have. But, <laughs> but I think they've warmed the idea that, you know, Netflix is perhaps falling from grace a bit mm. and there might be room for an ad funded model there. Um, they've also made a bunch, like I said, a bunch of acquisitions from mm. Warner, um, so the OC, One Tree Hill you know, these kind of shows that drag people in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. Um, what they did say, which I found quite funny, was that although this quarter was really good, they're unsure about the rest of the year because obviously they've got the advertising comparison of last mm. year and the Euros. Um, so yeah, it, it was a it was of a mixed course. bag, but the market seemed to be reacting quite well to it. Yeah, of course, World Cup obviously being kicked to November, November December mm-hmm. this year will we'll, we'll naturally lead to a quieter summer. I guess though with that ad-funded and free model, what we're seeing is how um, universal cost of living issues are right across the business world because you talked about Netflix drifting away or maybe struggling a little bit with with subscriber numbers. And I alluded to this competition in the streaming space. There is massive competition in the streaming space for that sort of $7.99 a month, $8.99 a month, $10.99 a month, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess the, the argument for investors is, well, actually, in a in a tough marketplace, just the old model of ad funded free stuff, he says, as the editor of an ad funded free newspaper, um, might be the way forward, and maybe there's there is that that niche there. I think there's the sense that there's all to play for. I think, like you say, people will be cancelling subscriptions, mm. kind of cut back. So if if there is this model that they can create when people can maybe, you know, subscribe a smaller amount or whatever, just to kind of boost a premium option, I think, yeah, it's interesting. And I think that's, watch the space on that one. Mm. And let's touch briefly on one of their 
competitors and a company that ITV still rumoured to be in the mix for buying Channel 4. Um, we won't talk about privatisation today. Um, they've signed a deal with YouTube trying to reach some new audiences and strengthen that brand because after all, if you buy Channel 4, you're basically just buying the brand because they don't really have any assets beyond Horse Ferry Road and that brand awareness. They don't own any production companies. They don't own the rights to anything. Mm. Yeah, so it's an interesting partnership. They're basically just putting, putting their shows on, on YouTube, which I think is interesting moving forward if mm. there is that privatization debate in the backdrop. Um, I think what's interesting, what you were just saying about um, Channel 4 not really having any of their own assets, I think that's interesting. It's maybe this is a kind of signal that, you know, we we support indies, we support this kind of creative community. Mm. So by putting it out there on YouTube, it's kind of, it's sending a sign, I think. Yeah, it's opening it up to, I guess, more people who would find the hassle of signing in with a password to 4OD or all four or whatever it's called, just a bit too much. Um, definitely a massively interesting space, Leo. We'll talk to you again in very soon, no doubt, about Channel 4 as that process moves on. Um, that was Leo Montebello, our tech media telecoms correspondent. Um, and that's all from me at the City AM City View podcast. I'll be back tomorrow and then our regular tech bite-sized hit on Friday from Nathan De Silva and Charlie Conchie. See you soon. <laughs>